The football pod with Paddy and Andy. The guy from Ballarat came down and sat beside me. He said, I take the draw and I said, I'd go home. I said, no. I said, this is the time. I said, if we're going to do it, now is the time. And you can sense Download it. the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. James, I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was on a beach, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions on anything, uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you. Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. All right, so the very first gauntlet has been thrown down and that can only mean one thing. The Premier League is back and the transfer window is nearing closing. Welcome along to Team 33, and a call here with you. And I'm joined on the line by ESPN's Kathleen McNamee. Kathleen, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Oshin McQuarrant is with me as well. Oshin, how are you? And I'm good, thank you. How are you? All good. So the first gauntlet of the season has been thrown down and that was by Tottenham's Harry Kane, who according to Jason Burt in the Telegraph, I say Jason Burt in the Telegraph, I really mean Harry Kane's brother in the Telegraph. He has thrown down the gauntlet to Daniel Levy to make good on the understanding that he could leave Tottenham if the club failed to win a trophy or finished outside of the top four last season. Both obviously came to fruition. Harry Kane wants to leave the club. He didn't turn up for training last week, didn't play against Manchester City last weekend didn't travel for Tottenham's Europa Conference League uh, clash during the week. And Man City are reporting, reportedly ready to spend $150 million on the striker after already forking out $100 million on Jack Grealish. So I guess let's start with general thoughts on this, Kathleen. Um, Harry Kane is forcing his way out of Tottenham, but it doesn't seem like Daniel Levy is going to actually let him leave. No, it seems a bit of a standoff at the moment. And I don't really know who wins in the situation. Like, Tottenham don't win because they're losing their best player and he's unhappy and he won't play. And he clearly feels like he can't say anything in public about it, even though I suppose he probably doesn't need to because he's getting quite an easy ride from the public by and large, which has surprised me that people have been so willing to just be happy at the fact that he hasn't turned up for training and that he's not contributing to the team. Um, I also don't really know what Daniel Levy's game in this is either because what what does he benefit from it all? Like at the very least, if he does let him go, he gets his hundred and fifty million and he can do something with it. But having an unhappy Harry Kane, I don't think I think the fact that he hasn't shown up for training and he hasn't played with the team in the last week shows that if he is forced to stay, he's not going to be a team player, even though fan attitude seems to be well, oh, he'll be fine. Like if he has to stay, he will play for us. And I just won't be that confident in that mm. yeah Oshin, there's a couple of things in that there's daniel levy's attitude there's harry kane's attitude the public's attitude towards harry kane as well we've spoken about this before harry kane is held to such esteem within the british public and within the british media as well let's let's be honest about it that he can do no wrong Mika richard sort of pointed that out on sky sports last week as well that the comparisons between the way that paul pogba has been treated for example compared to harry kane is completely different and it has been you know you know the harry kane challenge where he just wouldn't jump for the header last season the way that that was yeah. treated and how, when he gets a foul in the penalty box he's clever whereas other players maybe of a, a foreign nature are uh, divers so what, what do you make of harry kane's attitude here yeah, it's probably disappointing, really. I mean, the narrative, as you said, that surrounds Harry Kane is this kind of golden boy of English football, really. He's the England captain. I was at Spurs captain, but he's saw highly, highly thought of there. And this is kind of like, I mean, 
it seems like it's kind of hasn't been as blown out of proportion as it really should be. Like he didn't turn up for training. Like he's kind of, as Kevin kind of said, like it, it feels as though he's not going to, even if he stays, it is lose-lose for Spurs. Because even if he stays, like, is he going to play? And if he plays, I mean, he's not, is he going to put in 100%? You don't know. So like, to me, I mean, it's, it's an extremely, extremely messy situation. And I think, I think Kane has probably hurt himself in the eyes of many fans here. And I know you did mention, and I know it's not the same as kind of certain narratives around certain other players. But I think there will still be damage here. And like, it's one of those, it's a, how will the Spurs fans kind of react to it? Is it irre- irreparable at this stage? I don't know. But for me, it's, it's a, it is an extremely hard one for Spurs because if they let him go now, it's so, like, what is there, like a week, two weeks until the end of the transfers, or the transfer window closes. So who are they going to get in, in time? And if they get in anyone, they're going to have to overspend. And it's going to be not, I mean, they're going to, they're going to, like, teams are going to know that this is a Harry Kane replacement, so they're just going to jack up mm. the price of any player that they go for. So, like, Spurs are a little bit, they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place here because if they keep Kane, then he's going to be unhappy. He's going to be, is he going to be moping around? Is he even going to play? Is he going to, because he won't show up to training. So, like, is he going to play during the season? If he leaves, goes to City, Spurs are stuck because who replaces him then? I know, obviously, it's like that kind of, I know that, that Ewing theory, like, losing your best player makes you a little bit better, and that was kind of the sense of Spurs at the weekend against Manchester City. But, like, you'd imagine there's a ceiling to how how good Spurs can necessarily be without Harry Kane. I think there is anyway. Mm. So, in terms of the narrative, I think it will hurt Kane, definitely. I think they're probably... I, I think people are kind of coming around to it a little bit more now that Kane is not necessarily this golden boy. He's not necessarily the uh, the shining light, I suppose, of, of what a pro should be, really. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how it kind of how it plays out, but as to echo Kathleen's point, it's a lose-lose really for Spurs. Yeah, it's it's a tough one for Hurricane and Spurs. The, the magic of football is that it threw up a Manchester City against Tottenham game in the first game of the season. And I mean, that, that really does hurt uh, Hurricane's case and helps Daniel Levy's case in terms of the, how the public react to it because by the end of the game, the Tottenham fans were singing, are you watching Hurricane towards Hurricane who was somewhere in the stadium not to be seen because he wasn't playing. So, it's such a it's such a weird situation that he's got going on here. Twenty eight years old. I mean, he's not getting any younger. That's the peak of his powers, as the height of his worth. Only going to de- decline in the uh, amount of money that he's, he's going to get in for Harry Kane. So, I wonder, does Daniel Levy just you know eventually cave to what Man City? I think he's playing the long game here. I think Man City are eventually going to pay whatever. Daniel Levy wants. He generally gets his way, as was with Bale and as was with Modric as well. Daniel Levy generally gets his way. He's a he's a really tough negotiator. But I, I actually have a theory that Tottenham are only this good now, are only a super club, only have this big stadium, only were part of the, you know, the the breakaway for the Super League because they sold Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale was responsible for a rejuvenation of Tottenham in, in Europe and bringing them forward. So maybe selling on Harry Kane might be the way to have another boost and get into the Champions League, maybe push for a Champions League title in the next five, ten years. I think conversely, though, you could probably look at that and go, well, obviously the money in terms of investment in the club was made from Bale. But if you look at the investment in the players that was made from the sale, yeah, it wasn't great. Them weren't that great. I mean, like, no, it wasn't they, great. They bought, they bought four, they bought four, like, center attacking midfielders. Yeah. So you kind of look at it and go, well, was it just complete fluke whereby Deli Ali, who came from MK Dons for I don't even know how much, and Harry Kane, who came from the Youth Academy, and Pochettino, those three were kind of like the, I suppose, the, the triumvirate that kind of got them back to success. So do you kind of look at it and go, well, maybe they kind of fluked their way in a way to this position? 
as opposed to kind of the money that 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 bail came in that mm. came in from bail. But I do know what you mean. I do get your point in the sense that like it is gonna have. I mean, it is gonna have to be a bit of a rebuild, but they probably got themselves in at a solid enough base that I, I know that they're, they're they're not gonna be as good without Kane. There's no question about that. But if they do lose Kane, they, they do still have like Son is an exceptional player. Like they do still have better players probably than they did when Bale was sold. And they're probably in a better position as a club than they were when Bale was sold. Mm. So you could maybe make that argument, but I'm not, not 100% gone on it. Yeah, N- Nassar Chadley think... is the biggest hole in my argument there. Sorry, Catherine, go ahead. No, but I also think Spurs are going to have a problem in that they're, like, when they had Poch and they went on that great run and there was such a good feeling around the club and that just hasn't existed for the last couple of seasons with them. And I think that it's going even the whole Harry Kane saga, it's also going to affect like who they want to bring in in the sense that players are going to look at Harry Kane saying, oh, I had a gentleman's agreement that I could leave this year and now you're making it really difficult for me. So besides even just like the fact that they don't have a lot of time, I don't think they're putting out a very good forward image to like other players to say, come here, this is a great team. There's a great attitude. Like I'm sure all the Harry Kane stuff is affecting the squad itself because you're probably, if you're sitting there in the dressing room going, well, why are you messing all the rest of us around so that you can get your nice little 150 million price tag off to Man City? Um, so I'm that's the other part of this that kind of confuses me because I don't know how it benefits Daniel Levy going forward when he is going to attract players to a club that I think most people would say has lost a bit of its kind of soul or lost like a little bit of, especially again, if they do lose Harry Kane, who has been their poster boy for the last couple of years what is Spurs once that's all gone like there's very little left of them I think mm. yeah they, they did the all or nothing documentary in the wrong year I think I know Christian Eriksen was trying to force a move when they did that and it was quite interesting because you get insight into what he was feeling and he just wanted to move on to a bigger challenge so I would imagine like as much as you know he's gonna increase his wages or whatever I mean, at the end of it, I do think Harry Kane wants to leave Tottenham just to win trophies for professional football reasons. So I, I'm not the biggest fan of Kane in terms of his attitude or in terms of some of the things that he gets away with on the pitch and gets away with in the newspapers. But I, I genuinely do think he just wants to leave and win, stro- win trophies. And ultimately, that's what professional football is all about. So it is an interesting one. One thing that I do want to touch on before we move on from Harry Kane is players downing tools because, you know, um, Harry Kane hasn't turned up for training. He hasn't played for them uh, this season just yet. David Myler was speaking on Off the Ball on the football show and he was speaking about the Harry Kane situation and about downing tools and he had a really interesting story about when a player downed tools at a club that he was at. So I'll play that clip now. Just have a listen. If I was Harry Kane, I would. I'd hand in the transfer request and um, I probably would Dig in. I wouldn't down tools though. I don't think, I couldn't down tools. I think that's just not my makeup. I would still train hard because... I would want to move to Manchester City to go and compete for Premier League titles, Champions well, League titles. When I say downtools, train hard, would you make yourself available for selection? No. That's downing tools in my book. You're training for Man City. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. When I when when you say down tools, because I know lads who've interrupted training sessions, um, like if you're doing a possession, lads are picking up the ball with their hands and booting it away because they want to transfer <laughs> and you're just causing all sorts of drama. Um, well, I, I wouldn't. I mean, that'd be an escalation. That's what, yeah, that's what I kind of meant. Don't even, yeah, Got that's it. where Sorry, I was going that, with Donnie. That, that's even just too childish for me to have considered as an option, right? Okay, so picking up the ball and booting it away is an option. I didn't know oh, that yeah. was on the menu. 
Oh yeah, just running around trying to like flying into tackles, like just purposely ruining training sessions where like the players are at the point where they're getting annoyed that they're turning to the manager saying just get rid of him, like leave him go. Um, yeah, that's happened. Um, Common. Various occasions. Common. It depends. It depends on the transfers. Okay. Like Harry Kane, it could. I, I no, Harry Kane's not that type of person. Um, it is. Yeah, I would say it's common. Wow. Um, I imagine if you ask, you know, say Damien, Damien's probably come across it where, look, there's the famous one about John Walters and Roy Keane and the office. You know what I mean? You don't know if John then was down in tools because mm. he had the opportunity to go to Stoke in the Premier League. Um, well, the thing about really... the, the thing about Delaney is he'll name names. I think you're you're not quite there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That's you see, all us core people are slightly different, but we're very unique in our own way. Damien's <laughs> a bit more cutthroat at times. He is. Yeah, no, he'd name and shame. Uh, so, yeah. well, okay. Look, well, I'll give you. I'll give you a name. I'll give you a name. So Jake Liv- Jake Livermore was one when we were at Hull. Uh, Marco Silva just taken over. We were doing a session. Uh, it was Marco's first day, and somebody was offside. Um, Jake, we were we were short players. Jake was sent a half in a thing, and the line stood up, and um, the player was offside. He was clearly offside, like. But Marco said, "Play on," just so that the striker could have a finish. And Jake, like, when the keeper rolled the ball out, Jake caught it and booted it over the pitch, um, hit a house out the back. Yeah, and then it was kind of like everybody calmed down. But then inevitably, a week or two later, he left and went to West Brom. Right. That's I, I could have made that clip about. A minute and a half, two minutes shorter, but that Jake Livermore story is just phenomenal stuff. Absolutely wild. Mm, that was good. <laughs> Jake Livermore he, is not a player I was expecting to be named there. No, he he's a player that actually got like a lot of public um, support because of some uh, tragic circumstances within his family, and that's that's justified. But I mean, that's incredibly petty stuff. Kicking the ball away in training, um, like it's, it's stuff that you imagine doesn't happen, but happens way more often than you, you you'd think I'd say. Mm, definitely. Yeah. I think footballers are just like something that would happen at like under elevens or under tens football. Like do people do people grow up say, at all? Yeah. Probably not. Uh, very like playground like. sort of <laughs> Yeah, it's it's my ball so I'm going home type thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I I just thought that was worth worth playing because that's uh, some insight that you don't really get um from other people except for ex pros like David Miller. So we'll move on to Manchester City and I do have another clip here from the football show from Damien Delaney because again, Manchester City are the club that Hurricane are been linked with. They've already forked out a ton of money on Jack Grealish, Pep Guardiola's transfer fees are now uh, accumulating one billion over the course of his his uh, career at Manchester City so far. So, Damien was asked essentially, "What does he think of Harry Kane going to Man City? If Harry Kane signs for Man City, what does that mean for football?" Thinking about it afterwards, taking the the, the game out of it, come to the game in a second. Yeah, Manchester City for me have lost a little bit of lost like lost interest in them. Um, in, in a way that he spent a billion pounds. Um, and when I say lost interest, I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't get excited by them. I, I just, I'm just, I, he spent a billion pounds and they're a very, very good team. Good luck to you lads. Well done. You know, you're probably going to win the Premier League this year. And there's no real um, soul to Manchester City. You know, like Liverpool have soul. The mm. manager has soul. You, you just love the energy, the, the 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 feeling that they play with, and I love watching that. With Manchester City, they're just clinical. 
Um, well, it's kind there's, of there's not much emotion with City for sure. Yes, they're very well drilled. They're brilliant. They went and signed Jack Grealish. They're probably going to go and sign Harry Kane now because with that loss, Pep probably going to give the board an ultimatum. Um, and if I'm being honest with you, I've just lost. I, I don't want to lost my 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 luster for. I don't know. Yeah. I just lost interest in them. Really. I mean, fair enough. Well done. You're a good team. Um, whereas before, I used to like watching Pep's teams. But Saturday, uh, Sunday when they played, I was just a little bit kind of watching them going there. Eh. I could take you or leave you. Yeah. Um, I've got no real feeling for towards you guys because, you know, the manager spent so much money and there's nothing wrong with that. Good luck to him. But, you know, you look at what, like, Jurgen Klopp's going to have to do at Liverpool this year, what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's going to have to do at Manchester United, you know, what Tuchel is doing at Chelsea. I, I can buy into Chelsea. I look at the manager and I'm like, oh, this is good. There's yeah, a verb, uh, yeah. an energy. I, I, I don't know if I'm explaining how I feel. No, I to- I, you, you are. Yeah. You are, you are. So that was Damien Delaney. Kathleen, Manchester City soulless completely but I thought Manchester City have been soulless for years now and I think this transfer window has only just kind of emphasised that even more Um, it's kind of like Damien was saying like there's just I don't get excited by the fact that they are able to spend a billion and put together a team you know I think that like the Jack Grealish story it's really interesting it's really like I, I actually do quite enjoy a lot of the stuff he does, but I just think that this move just made me lose interest in him completely. Like, well, of course you can go to City and be paid lots of money and be surrounded by these people, but like, where is the excitement? Where is the challenge in that? I know you're playing up against some of the top teams in the world in the Champions League, and like you probably will win the Premier League again. But I just, I must. I just wonder is it not boring for Guardiola to a certain extent to be able to spend all that money and to bring in all these amazing players and maybe it is a thing of having to work with those egos and work with those you know making sure that everyone feels they have a place on the team but it like where's the challenge in that for him really it's not you know that you're trying to target your top one or two players every transfer window he could literally go out with his purse and like annihilate the transfer market if he wanted to um, and then you think of where all that money is coming from in the first place as well and it just gets even more soulless and more grim um, and it's a shame because I actually think like obviously I cover men and women's football I really like the women's team I think they've done a really interesting job at the way that they have curated a team and the money they've spent and what they've put towards like academy facilities and all that sort of stuff is great so I know there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in City but when it comes to the men's team, I just have no interest whatsoever. Like they're boring to me to watch. They're boring well, to watch sometimes. Like obviously they can play quite well, but you you know what to expect. And I thought like with Guardiola's history and with everything that he has done in his career before, I don't know if this is where I saw him going. Was I'm going to spend a billion in transfers and that is my game plan rather than creating a team that it's just interesting and a bit more fun to watch. Mm. I actually did find this with Guardiola's last Barcelona team in the last year. Now, granted, they are one of the greatest teams of all time. I don't want to uh, do them down, but by the end of Pep Guardiola's career at Barcelona, I felt they were quite boring and monotonous to watch. They're very possession-orientated, where it is, uh, you know, fast-paced movement with, more I don't know what off the cuff sort of attitude when it came to the the front player I remember Thierry Henry did an interview about when he was there and it was once once he got the ball once Etu got the ball once Messi got the ball it was do whatever you want whereas 
now it's very choreographed. I think that's what City are. How much of this comes down to tradition, Oshin? Because people hated when Liverpool won the league. They hated it. But nobody would have cared if Man City won another. Is that just where we're at because of the, the stature of the club compared to others? I think so, yeah. I think that's probably part of it. For me, for me, it is part of it anyway, definitely. Like, I'm not, I, I don't care for Liverpool. I don't care for any other team other than Leeds. But when Liverpool won the league, I did, there was something there. That is a memorable season. Every season City have won the league, apart from the Aguero 94-minute goal, has been unmemorable for me. I don't, I, it, they're just seasons that, I mean, things happened during the seasons, but the fact that City won the league, it's just like, yeah, what's City won the league? Like, Leicester won the league, obviously huge. Liverpool mm-hmm. won the league, massive. Last time you know they won the league, I remember that. But City won the league, and it's just like, oh, yeah, City won the league that time, you know? You know what I mean? Like, of course they did. They're the best team. Like, they're obviously going to win the league. So it might be like that this year. I mean, I think now, to be fair, Chelsea uh, are a strong competition. I think United look really good against Leeds. So I don't think it'll be necessarily a walk in the park. But if, if it is, and if City do get Kane, and if City do win by 12, 13 points, I think we look back at the season and go, yeah, okay, City won the league by 12, 13 points. Of course they did. They spent 250 million. They signed Grealish and Kane. What yeah. else was ever going to happen kind of thing? You know what I mean? So for me, yeah, there's that kind of, there is that tradition in the sense that like, I think there is obviously there's this nostalgia for teams that when you were growing up that you kind of you like to see do well or something like that. But I don't know. I just I think I agree kind of Kathleen as well. Like it's just I, I, when I watch City, I'm not like I, I don't like watching City really. There are teams that are good to watch in the Premier League for different reasons. Like you know, I mean, Burnley can be good to watch because of how they play sometimes. Like intriguing to watch more so perhaps. Like Liverpool can be good to watch. Leeds can be great to watch. But I don't the City. I just don't know what I'm kind of. When I'm watching it, I'm just like, yeah, it's sideways pass, sideways pass, sideways pass. They're missing the number nine. They clearly need one of them. But, like, I look back. Like, there was a couple of City seasons, maybe, I think, when they had Sané and Sterling out wide and Aguero through the middle. And there was kind of, they were, there was, there was electricity about that team, you could probably argue. But this one, I mean, and it, it what's, it's frustrating, the fact that it, it is the most, like, that team and against Tottenham was the most expensive starting 11 ever assembled, I think. Like, mm-hmm. in football, ever. And they lost one of the Spurs. And you're looking and you're kind of thinking... <laughs> What, what what's going on there you know what I mean like Oliver skips in the middle of the park and he's dominating you're like he's what 22 years of age and he's up against the literal most expensive team ever and he's having the run of it and you're kind of like is, is it even now that City, City have kind of got to the stage where like not only are they not that great to watch they're not really are they even that great and now again I'll, this, this is something that'll probably come back to bite me in like whatever the end of the season when City went up by 10 points but you're kind of looking at it thinking that didn't fill me with any kind of confidence watching them against Spurs like they clearly clearly need a number nine and whether they get Kane or not we'll see but no I don't I, I kind of agree I don't have any I don't have any I don't think I have any feeling towards City I don't hate City I don't love City I don't have anything towards it's City it's just a nothingness yeah yeah it's just a nothingness that's the yeah. that's the first and last time anybody will ever say that Burnley are a good team to watch on when this I was podcast. saying I was like I was like intriguing to, I said good and I was like nah that's not that's a lie Intriguing I, to watch. I I'd say, I'd say Burnley Burnley are fun to watch when they're playing against clubs that you know they're going to absolutely dominate and smash in the air. That's when Burnley are good to watch. Um, yeah. yeah, Man City. It's just it's as if someone took an American franchise, plopped it into the Premier League out of nowhere, and it just exists. That's there's no real. I, and I know there's traditional Man City fans. I know that they do they do exist somewhere there, but it's just it it is like when. Take, for example, what's happening in Dublin right now with the hotels. There's a lot of places becoming really nice, really shiny, really, you know, gentrified is the word for it. And it's just soulless. Nobody really, nobody cares. Nobody likes going, nobody likes to go down and chill by the AFSE. You know, it's it's just because it's just, it doesn't have any character. And I think that's what's missing from Man City is just, 
it's this global brand that's really shiny with the best manager of all time, unlimited funds, and they're always going to win trophies because of that. And there's no struggle. There's no story. Like Liverpool, for example, as much as it pains me to say, the Liverpool story under Klopp, it's one of the best sports stories of all time, comes in this absolutely, you know, mental German guy who plays explosive football comes into Liverpool and rejuvenates the team and brings brings the Premier League to them for the first time in their history. That's that's a journey, that's a story. There's no real journey with Man City. I think that's that's the problem. Uh, we do want to talk about Arsenal and Chelsea as well before we finish up with the show. So we'll take a short, short break and we'll return to the Premier League stuff after the break. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. All right, you're very welcome back to Team 33. End a call here with you until about 10 o'clock this evening. And I'm joined by ESPN's Kathleen McNamee and Oshie McQuarrens because the first weekend of the Premier League football has passed us. We're going into this game week two this weekend. And the first weekend always throws up a surprise result. I don't, I'm going to put my, my cards on the line here. I don't think this is a surprise result. First game of the season, Arsenal against Brentford City. The newly promoted side, Arsenal are always going to lose that game. Eight times out of ten, Arsenal are going to lose the first game of the season against the newly promoted side. I'm lucky enough to have an Arsenal fan on the line with me, Kathleen. I mean, I, it's it's getting beyond a joke here. And I, I want to I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something at you and you can give me your best argument against it. Arsenal are a mid table side now. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't even disagree with it. Like I I didn't actually watch the game live on Friday night because I knew exactly how it was going to go like all day in work there's a couple of Brentford fans in our office and all day I was like you're going to win and they're like no every Arsenal supporter I knew put money on Brentford to win that match because everyone was just absolutely convinced that it was going to go the way it did I watched it back the next day and I was like I don't even know why I bothered because it went exactly how I thought it would um they're a mid-table team I actually at this point wouldn't even be surprised if they slipped to mid to low like as the seasons go on I just I don't see how you talk about like before we were talking about Manchester City and about an American sports fan coming in and kind of sucking the life out of a club like that just feels how Arsenal is now except that it did have this amazing history and it did have these amazing teams and I think I've said it before on well like I just I don't know how you attract players like good players the caliber of players that a team like Arsenal with a reputation like Arsenal should be attracting. I don't know how you bring them in. I think there are so many, like Arteta has tried to a certain extent to get rid of some of the dead weight, but whether it's stuff within the club or I think it's him, like in his managerial skills, there's just so many times where you see a team line up and you're like, just we know that doesn't work. Like we saw it in preseason, we saw it last season. Why are we persisting with all of these like, tired formations and I think it's really I think I can't remember who I saw that said it It was maybe like Miguel Delaney or someone was talking about the fact that like the way that Arsenal has slid down the table should be a warning for all the other big teams and like of how easy it is to just slowly all of a sudden you're like okay well it's top three it's not that bad of top four okay Champions League and after Europa League that's fun and like oh well maybe we'll make Europe next year that has been the attitude at Arsenal for the last like like a decade probably more at this stage and like I just don't I don't know what the answer is to change it apart from well I think an easy ownership is probably the Mm. only thing that's going to change it I don't see how a manager 
a good enough manager will be attracted to lift them beyond that mid-table place that they're kind of stuck at at the moment. Um, I think that like we gave Yang that massive contract last year and since then he's just kind of, I don't know, he just seems disinterested or something in things now. It's not whatever he's doing. You do, there are some bright boys like Keosaka, Emil Smith-Rowe, I think are all like really great players and could be the start of a new generation for our, like a regeneration of the club and a new sort of path. But they need someone who can guide them and they also need those experienced players above them. And I just don't see that in the team at the moment. And it worries me for them as well because I, I hate to see them stagnate in the same way that the club is stagnating at the moment. Mm. The interesting thing about Arsenal for me is after Arsene Wenger, they went through this sort of rejuvenation of the club and revamping the structure. They went towards the technical director. Ruth Edu is now in, in that position. And they've had more revamps of this situation than I've ever seen. They've only now, in the last couple of days, announced a new scouting department. <laughs> they did that. I'm pretty sure they've done, they did that last year as well. They had a new, yeah. a, a former uh, technical director a couple of years ago before I do. And it's all such a mess. I, I got a serious amount of stick when I said that um, they, uh, they should be doing better than they were and that, uh, you know, the managers were actually not, they they weren't dealing with bad players here. They were just dealing with a mess of a club. And I, I think the club is more of an issue than the players, which is contrasting to what the Arsenal fans really think. But if ever there's a, a um, an advert for not going towards the technical director route and the scouting department route is the fact that they're now buying Ramsdale for 30 million after already spending 50 million on Ben White Ramsdale double relegated goalkeeper, probably the worst goalkeeper in the league last year, and he seems to be the answer to the defensive problems. It just just doesn't make sense to me. I just also don't understand. Like, I was so annoyed when they got rid of Martinez last year because I just like I think he is the sort. I understand that he wanted to compete for that number one position, but I also just don't understand why Arteta didn't let him compete for it because I think he stepped in at a time where Arsenal were in very dire straits and did so much good for the club and you could see how much it meant to him like how like upset he was when like finally getting on finally winning things like it meant so much and I think that is something that Arsenal missed because I think they missed those sort of legacy players that are going to bring other people in and then like you said like what are we doing now spending all that money on <laughs> Ramsdale I just I keep getting messages from people and it's just like Ramsdale question mark and it, that's all you need to know like it says everything <laughs> yeah yeah, I Aaron Ramsdale is the luckiest goalkeeper in the world. It's relegated and then gets the move to Sheffield United, relegated again, gets a move to Arsenal. It's just, it's unbelievable. I don't, I don't think he's getting that if he's uh, not a British player, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. The homegrown uh, issue with him is definitely playing a part in that. Martinez actually would solve the issue as well because, you know, you had a goalkeeper there who was good in the air, really strong, dominant and would help out that defence who are clearly not dominant in the air at all. Uh, Oshin, before we move on from Arsenal, yay or nay to the long throw-ins? Because I, I'm all for it. Oh, oh, do I support long throw-ins? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, 100% I support long throw-ins. That Stoke team from like 06 when Ward Lap was long throw-ins. Like, that was iconic. Best, I, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I definitely support that, especially from a newly promoted team. I know Brentford actually played quite nice football, but still from a newly promoted team to just go, nah, do you know what? We'll just horse it into the box. That's I like that. I'm here for that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's cost. The, one of the best Premier League years clips is the goalkeeper. I think it was a Manchester City goalkeeper at the time who cleared the ball out for a corner, like purposely kicked it out for a corner oh, instead yeah, of a throw he it, yeah. because he didn't want Roy Delap throwing the ball in on top of him. Um, mm. That was that was that was a phenomenal stretch for the Premier League. That was the Barclays. That's when you would. That, that that's peak 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 Barclays. Peak Barclays. Before we finish up on Premier League stuff, there's a couple of things I want to get to. Romelu Lukaku coming to Chelsea, coming back to Chelsea, big move for him. Uh, Manchester United obviously hammering Leeds on the first day of the season. Oshin, which do you want to start with? Uh, I didn't even quite catch the second one, but uh, Lukaku, that's a great signing. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about Lukaku. Um, right, let's go, no, let's go Lukaku. Right. We'll, go, we'll, we'll finish off with Leeds. We'll finish off in a bright spark. Okay. Man United okay. hammering Leeds. So Romelu Lukaku returns to Chelsea. He is a, one of the most expensive transfers of all time. Funnily enough, if you look at the, um, the top t- 20 transfers of all time in the Premier League, Lukaku's transfer to Chelsea is the third. Lukaku's transfer to United is the ninth and Lukaku's transfer to Inter from uh, from Manchester United is number 18, I think. So three of the top 20 transfers of all time in the Premier League re- revolve around Romelu Lukaku. He scored 47 goals, 72 games uh, as Inter won the Scudetto last year. And I mean, this is a no-brainer signing for me. Lukaku is going to come in and be that missing piece for Chelsea Ocean. Oh, yeah, he's going to sleepwalk to like 20, 25 goals a season, I think, with ease. Uh, he's a much, much better player he was when he left United. I think United fans, the United fans that I know anyway, were quite, most were quite heavily critical of him. I know for me, he was from the outside looking in, it was like, well, look at him, he's scoring goals. That's how he's there for. But I think they were kind of, they didn't like his all around play. His touch has obviously been heavily kind of criticized in the past. His kind of just his general hold up play. I think people have thought that it's not quite as good as it should be whereas I think now going to Inter I think that's probably improved him a lot I mean even just watching that the Euros he looks so much sharper and um, he's going to be full of confidence as well he was banging them in for Inter the last couple of seasons he'll go back to Chelsea you see, he knows Chelsea I know it didn't quite I don't want to say it didn't work out for him because I don't think he got a fair crack at the whip really the first time um, and then he left for Everton but I think he, he knows the club he knows the Premier League he, he's proven goal scorer in the Premier League he's at probably his athletic and physical peak right now He's in great form from the last couple of seasons. He's, he did okay at the Euros. As well. He grabbed maybe three three or four goals. So for me, this is, yeah, as you said, and this is an all-brainer. Like, this is 20 goals a season, 25 goals a season, guaranteed. You'd like to think maybe he'll unlock certain players. Um, Havertz, Havertz, maybe. I mean, he's got a lot of players, great players around him. I think Werner could be nice around a player like Lukaku with his hold-up play and things like that. So for me, this is this could end up probably being the sign. Now the Grealish signing, Kane might, might come in. This is probably going to end up being the sign of the season. It kind of happened a little bit quick too. It was kind of like all of a sudden Chelsea were interested, and like a week later he was there. So yeah. like it wasn't necessary. I wouldn't even call it wasn't a saga per se. But no, nah, for me this is yeah this is easy. I mean Lukaku is going to just like he's he's. I'm interested to see him up against Ben White on on when, or on Saturday. Now I'm actually I know we're talking about. I'm Arsenal, not. Anyway, but I <laughs> I love I love Ben White. Ben White's one of my favorite. I, I ben White's a good player. Yeah, he's just not what Arsenal need. Exceptional footballer, but he's not. Yeah. No, he's not Arsenal. Anyway, sorry. Go back to Lukaku. Yes, yes, Lukaku is going to be an excellent signing, and he'll just sleepwalk to about twenty to twenty-five goals in the Premier League season. Yeah, D- Damian Delaney was actually speaking about this on Tuesday night as well about Romelu Lukaku. How you mark him because obviously he's come up against them, and he said. You know, you can't let him get a run at you because he's faster. He'll beat you in that. You can't get tight to him because he's stronger than you. He'll beat you in that. He's good in the air. The only thing that you can do to him is try get him to take a touch. That that, that was basically it. He's he's a completely dominant forward, except for 
his touch. I think his touch is getting a little bit better. I think he gets pissed off by the fact that people think that he, he is he is a touch of a donkey. Um, Kathleen, what do you think of this signing? Obviously, Timo Werner is someone that was criticized heavily last year. I don't think he's a central striker to begin with, so that will push him out to the left. I think the left is his natural position anyway. So, I mean, Kai Havertz, Lukaku, Timo Werner, Mason Mount, that's looking fairly tasty for Chelsea. Yeah, it really is. Um, I think it's a really exciting signing for them. I, I've loved the regeneration that he's seen in his like general persona over the last couple of seasons while he was away in Italy. I think I also love the pain in United fans whenever they see how well he has done and the player he has turned into since he left them. It's just it's very enjoyable for me. Um, yeah, I think like Chelsea obviously last year like came back and did really great stuff like won the Champions League were looking really bright but they were just missing that sort of player and I think Lukaku is exactly the right sort of person and I also think the fact that he does have that history with the club he has like he's spoken about supporting them since he was a child and he seems so excited to actually be there as well I think that that's going to only benefit people and the whole team in the long run. Right, before we finish up, I, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. This is just a thought that I had today when I was looking at the table and looking ahead to the games this weekend. Is this an exceptionally poor Premier League year for the clubs? Because like, bear, bear in mind, I will say, the top five is probably stronger now than it's ever been. And this is probably uh, an indictment of where football is going at the minute. But I mean, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, Man City, Leicester... They're exceptionally strong sides, and you could argue there could be four teams going for the title, and that's great for the title race or whatever. But apart from that, you know, you're looking at Crystal Palace, Newcastle, Wolves, Southampton, Watford, Norwich. I'm going to throw Everton in there, Burnley, Brighton, and I'm going to throw Arsenal in there too. That's an exceptionally poor bottom half of the table. Think of the chaos, though. That I hear all those teams listed off, and I just think utter chaos that could ensue. And I think that. A bit like we were talking about earlier with City, we've come to expect a certain level of those top four or five teams, and I find that those like mid-table to lower-table battles are always far more interesting. So it could be like, yeah, four clubs, but like that doesn't necessarily mean it won't be massively entertaining for the season. That would be my counterpoint to that. <laughs> True. I think. Oh, yeah. I think, so, sorry, just to, just a to touch on that. I think. I think it's proof that, like, you've seen it even with Brentford on Friday, you've seen it with Leeds last season, you've seen it with Wolves a couple of seasons ago. Like, the gap between the bottom half of the Premier League and the top kind of four or five of the Championship is essentially nothing at this stage. I don't think, I yeah. think there's no gap. I think it's the same. You know what I mean? Like, you look at West Brom, who went down, like, they, they brought in some nice players, brought in a good manager. They're, they've won, I think they're unbeaten to the start of the season. Like, they're essentially the same level, say, as like a Norwich or a Watford went up. I don't think there's anything really in between that. And I think the, the results of promoted teams, I know you'll always get a couple who are quite poor, but for me, the results of the the results or the finishing places of, of promoted teams over the last few years have kind of shown that like for the most part the gap is is not not nearly as as wide, I would say, as it probably once was. Yeah. Like well, I'll I'll let the listeners in on a little secret that me and you had a bet on last year about Leeds and their yeah. finishing place. And up until the last mm. game of the season, I think they were in eighth, and then they dropped they out because of Arsenal in the last game of the yeah. season. Yeah, um, Arsenal. Yeah. yeah. Keep that to myself. Yeah. Right. I'll I'll give you the last word then, Oshin. Okay. Leeds Leeds United, five one Manchester United in the first game of the season. How much of this is down to Calvin Phillips not being there and Leeds being easily carved open without him? 
Well, I'm looking forward to the season actually starting. I'm happy that the preseason, the last preseason game against United is over and we can actually start the season now against Everton. I'm looking forward to that. No, the, yeah, that's to, to me, it, it proved a couple of things to me. It proved that for Leeds, so obviously it was nil all against United in the last game um, of last season. I was, there was the 16, but then there was the nil all. And Leeds looked really good in that game. They looked really compact. They kind of Bruno Fernandes didn't get a sniff really. And it was quite a tight game. I think actually people, I think Jamie Garrigo was giving out how bad it was, but it's it showed me that everything has to work perfectly for Leeds against a team like Man United. When you've got players like Pogba, Bruno Fernandes, runners from midfield, Leeds, every single Leeds player has to have a game that is at least nine out of ten. And it's just there's no other way that it works. There's no other way that it works. And Calvin Phillips as well, it makes a huge difference. Phillips played the two games Phillips didn't play against Bruno, he scored six goals, I think, in two games. <laughs> the one game, the one game he did, or sorry, five goals, sorry, in two games. The one game he did, he didn't score at all. So, like, that does go to show you how good Calvin Phillips is at that man marking. But for me, it was just a case of it all has to work. I, against a team like United, it all has to work, and it just didn't. Like, against Everton, it's not a cause of concern. It's not a cause, no, it's not a cause of concern, really, for me, as a Leeds fan, I don't think. Bielsa has enough credit in the bank that Leeds could probably get beaten eight or nine nil in about six games in a row and it's still want the trophy or a statue of him out the front of the road. So mm. like there's not a case of like oh Leeds are in trouble this season or oh Leeds might struggle this season. They won't, they'll be fine. But I think a lot of Leeds fans though also had expectations over perhaps where Leeds actually are because last season was about the investment like dropping a hundred million on like the actual international players. And the idea was to do that to kind of so that they didn't have to drop another one hundred million this season, if you get me. So that the investment was made then so that like it can kind of bleed into the next couple of seasons mm-hmm. i think some leeds fans are looking at it thinking oh well we finished ninth last season we have to build on that we have to build on that not necessarily i think this season is is, is a model for a 12th or 13th type finish and i don't think that's bad like consolidation is not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to these nights so for me i'm not necessarily worried it's not a great start to the season but it's one of those where everything just didn't go everything that had to go right for leeds didn't and when you when you're up against players of that quality of quality of bruno pog but mason greenwood was electric as well like it's one of those that you can't really, you can't really do do anything. There's just the level of player is better, and the jobs that they had on the level of player it didn't work. And you kind of go, well, okay, that's that's just how it is. Five one, you're gonna probably get results like that. That's the way Leeds play. That you're gonna mm. you're gonna get free results like that. They could go and beat Everton four 0 on Saturday. It's very similar to last season. So well, United hammered them last year as well, and, and yeah, it was a carbon copy. Still, of that they, game. They, they, they still mm-hmm. finished ninth. So it, I mean, yeah. I, I think mid table would be. Uh, really good for Leeds this season considering what can happen newly promoted sides that do well in their first season back yeah. in the Premier League so uh, before I finish up then finally um, I'm going to put you on the spot again where are Arsenal going to finish Kathleen who's going to win the league uh, I still think despite the weekend City probably will still win it as for where Arsenal will finish 10th I think maybe 11th Ten. Mid-table again. Oshin, Leeds and the winner of the league. Yeah, I'd probably, I think Leeds would be like 10th or 11th probably. Now it depends, like, as you said, there are a lot of poor clubs around. So like a lot of teams could do us a favour by being exceptionally poor. That would help. But I'd say like 10th or 11th. Who's going to win the league? The more I think about it, the more I'm kind of talking myself into Chelsea. Just with Lukaku coming in, Tuchel obviously has been excellent, won the Champions League. Although I do think this Chelsea team and Tuchel in general are much more of a cup side. And that's easy for me to say, the fact that they actually won the Champions League. You can say, okay, <laughs> so obviously they won the Champions League. But I do think just in general, they're kind of more built for that European style of play, that kind of cup side, that one-off tie, as opposed to like a 38-game season. But the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of leaning towards Chelsea. And in fact, I mean, they hope they destroyed Crystal Palace there by far the better team. 
like mm. not the palace are any real acid test of anyone's quality but still i think i think i probably just to go with something different i'll probably go with chelsea yeah, I think it's Chelsea's year, unfortunately. Tuchel gives the edge over United. I, I think United probably have arguably the best squad in the league overall, if you're looking at it. Uh, maybe the CDM situation will hinder them, but I, I think the fact that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not Thomas Tuchel is going to be an issue come February, March time. So be interested to see. Hopefully we'll get a good entertaining Premier League anyway. Kathleen McNamee from ESPN, thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you very much. Osha McLaren, thank you. No problem, thanks, Enda. All right, we'll take a quick break. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. All right, so that's us done on this week's Team 33. Thanks as ever to you for listening. If you want to listen back to that show or any of the Team 33 episodes, you can get it in the OTB Sports app, which you can download in the App Store or Google Play. You can get all of the news articles, breaking news. You can listen, you can watch, you can get notified every time a new Team 33 podcast goes live as well if you subscribe to the Team 33 feed. We'll be back again, same time, same place next week. Hopefully with a lot more Premier League drama to talk about. But until then, Iowa, take it away, Johan. (laughs) 